The following audio is from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Acts is available at actschurchleander.com. Uh, well, hey, it is uh, great to be back with you all. For those who don't know, I was out of town last week. Uh, my family and I uh, got to spend spring break in the balmy climates of northern Wisconsin. So that was, that was great, everyone's dream destination. Uh, but, but it was good to be up there and to see family, and uh, I literally took my little boy sledding, so uh, it, was, it was a little different than down here, uh, but it's, it's good to be home with y'all. So hey, as we get started, we are uh, in our series on Galatians. We're in, in the last chapter today, but as, before we even get into the book, I just want to take a moment, I want you guys to ask each other a question real quick. I got a question for y'all, uh, and it's very simple. It's, what is your favorite piece of technology? Okay, and I'm using that term broadly here. So it could be, you know, your refrigerator and it could be your computer, okay? So technology in the broad sense, talk with the person next to you, one minute, what's your favorite piece of technology? Go. All right, we'll give you 10 more seconds. All right. Uh, real quick, how many of you said uh, it was your phone? Show of hands. Yeah, right? Okay, yeah. For me, it was like it's a coin toss between uh, either my coffee pot or my phone. Um, and, uh, and since I can go buy coffee, I'll say phone. Uh, because it's amazing, right? Like, I can take pictures with it. I can listen to music on it. I can check my email on it. I can even call people on it. Like, I, I can do it all, you know? Like, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, and, and I bring this up uh, because I'm just going to state the obvious. Like, we all love technology. We love the stuff that we have that we use, our phones, because they're practical, right? They're useful. They serve a good purpose. Like, there's things I'm able to do that I wasn't able to do without the, the, the usefulness of this device, now, bring that up to think, like, do we ever think about that journey to practicality? Like, like, how did we get to the iPhone? How did we get to where we're at? And some of you probably know. I know we have a lot of folks that are in the tech industry, and you know. I don't. But uh, I've been reading up on it, right? So I've been reading up on it, and I'm reading this book uh, called Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull, who's the founder of, of Pixar. And in the beginning of this book, he's been describing uh, why he founded Pixar, what it was about. And really, it started with this big sort of ethereal vision that led to something very practical. It started with him with this big sort of dream. And, and basically what it was, in the 1960s, he's a grad student at the University of Utah, and he's got this dream, and he says, hey, I want to make the first feature film that's animated fully digitally. That it's all digital animation. I want to make it a feature film. Now, this is in the 60s in Utah. Like, digital animation doesn't even exist really at this time. And so he starts with just this crazy dream. But then he moves it into something practical. He moves it, and this is how technology works. And in a similar way, this is how the book of Galatians works. That it starts off with the Apostle Paul writing this letter to this people in this, this region of, of the world called Galatia. And he gives them this big vision. He gives them this big sort of ethereal, sort of metaphysical truth that like, hey, this is how God is. This is how we relate to him. And then at the end of Galatians, he gets really practical. 
He moves from this big vision to something really practical day in and day out. And so the big vision that he's had for us that we've talked about exhaustively for the last five weeks is this. That the way we relate to God, that the way we're made right with God is not by what we do or don't do. It's not about following some sort of religious set of rules and expectations, but it's simply because God has sent Jesus for us. And that because he lived the life that we could not, and he died the death that we deserve, and he rose again to new life, that those of us who trust in him and put our life together with him, we're made right with God. Simply by his grace. Simply by what he's done. And so in chapter 6 of Galatians, it gets into, okay, now that we get that, how does that shape the rest of our lives? What's the practicality of that? And so this is a really fun, fun passage to go through because it's just, it's simple. It's a movement from vision to practice. And so here's what we're going to see. Those who have a vision of the cross, those who have a vision of Jesus' work on their behalf, what we see in Galatians 6 is they do three things. They do three things. They do good, they suffer well, and they boast in the cross. If you have a vision of the cross, of what Jesus has done for you, you do good, suffer well, boast in the cross. All right, so we're going to go through those three points. Let's get going. Do good. Look with me at verses 1 to 6. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. All right. So the question is, what does it look like to do good in light of the cross? Well, let's just walk through this verse by verse. Kate, if you'd take us back to verse 1 there. All right, first of all, Paul says, hey, if, if a brother or sister there is caught up in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. So if anyone's caught up in a sin, if there's something going on, you should restore them. Now think about this for a second. This is like radically countercultural to the way we normally operate as people, right, in our culture. Right? Generally, it's like, hey, if someone's doing something that, that's maybe wrong, isn't right, whatever, you know, it's not really my business. I don't really want to ruffle any feathers. Just kind of sit quietly. We can all kind of do our own things. Not, you know, let's just, let's just keep our distance. I don't want to engage. I don't want there to be any conflict. Let's just play it safe. But what Paul says here is he says, no, 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 no. For the Christian, for those of us who are united by the cross, it means we actually care about each other. And so when one of us is caught up in a transgression, when one of us isn't living right, we're meant to call each other out. It's actually a very loving thing to do. Like if I see you walking towards a cliff and I don't say turn around, I'm not being very loving. And so that's what this text is saying. It's saying, hey, if your brother or sister is caught in a transgression, caught in a sin, you got to make it right. The, the Greek word there, uh, to restore, uh, is actually the word uh, katarizete. It's a fun one. Uh, which actually means to be put in joint, to be set back in joint. Like it was, it was a medical term. Like someone had dislocated a shoulder. You know, so someone in the body of Christ, it's dislocated. And so we want to restore it. We want to work it back to where it's supposed to be so it can function how it's meant to. But I don't know if you notice how much emphasis Paul puts here, verse 1, on being gentle. 
He says, hey, do it in a spirit of gentleness. Be humble. And then he says, keep an eye on yourself. Don't go talking to someone unless you've done some examination on yourself first. Which is really the same thing that Jesus says, right? Jesus says, hey, if you, you see a speck in someone else's eye, he says, you be sure to take the log out of your own eye first. Right? Now notice, both Paul and Jesus, they don't say you can't ever say anything about a speck. They don't say you can't ever call things out. They just say, hey, take care of the log first. Test yourself first. Go in a spirit of gentleness and in humility. So uh, just a couple months ago, uh, Melissa and I were, were at a wedding, and uh, we ran into some friends there who, who we knew from when we used to live in St. Louis. And, and we're talking with them, and, and we ended up talking about uh, another couple that, that the four of us knew mutually that, that still lived in St. Louis. And um, I'm just going to be honest, church, uh, I'm not perfect, okay? By the way, if you are perfect, just don't come here because you're just going to mess up our vibe, all right? So... <laughs> Uh, so, so I'm not perfect, and uh, in the midst of talking to this couple, we started talking about this other couple, and, and I quite honestly said some things that I shouldn't have said, and, and I spoke ill of, of these people that, that we knew, and I said some things that were, that were not respectful, and, and it just it was wrong. And uh, I didn't really think about it, though, and I was just kind of going on, having a good time. And, uh, and then we got in the car, and we started have, heading to drive home, and Melissa just said, hey, Gabe, can I talk to you real quick? Like, why did you say that about those people there? Like that, that wasn't really like you. Like that, that wasn't a good thing for you to do. You shouldn't have said that. And so you're right. Now notice what she did, right? She didn't call me out in front of others and run me down. She didn't get up on a high horse and say, well, I'd never say anything like that. I can't believe those words came out of your mouth. She didn't do that. She quietly, gently, privately said, hey, that was out of place. She restored me. I was walking towards the cliff. She said, no, no, you got to turn around. And that's the idea for us as a church. That's what verse 1 is saying. Hey, if someone is caught up in some sort of destructive practice, something that's destructive to themselves or to someone else, you got to lovingly, gently put the joint back in place because the cross unites us together. We don't have the luxury of walking away from one another. The cross unites us together. because, And that's why uh, verse 2 here, it goes into, we bear one another's burdens. right? So it's not just that we're the moral police on one another, but we're actually so intricately aligned with each other's lives that we enter into suffering with one another, that we bear each other's burdens. Martin Luther, he, he once said that, that Christians must have husky bones to bear the burdens of each other. I love that. Husky bones. That when hardship hits, those of us who are united by the cross of Jesus, we come together and we enter into each other's burdens and we help share the load. That's what happens. It does. And it's a beautiful thing to see it. Just a couple weeks ago, we had a family have a hardship hit them suddenly. And it was crazy for me as a pastor of this church to see that, that instantly their small group got to action. Started praying for them. Visited them in the hospital started handling things that in the midst of crisis this family couldn't take care of. Then we had folks in our community, folks in our church that offered to bring meals to this family. Like, that's what we do. That's having husky bones. That's bearing each other's burdens. See, when we look at others through the lens of the cross, it leads us to do good, to restore the wayward, to bear each other's burdens. And then point three we see in verse six here, to share with each other. Verse 6 says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. 
Now listen, I'm not just talking about this verse here because it justifies me getting a paycheck, okay? Though it does, uh, but, but that's, that's not why I'm talking about it. Um, really, this, this verse, what I love about it is it gets at how, how the church, how God's people can actually differ from the culture around them. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but, but our culture, like, we love to throw stones at leaders, right? Hey, let's get that person elected so we can just take them down. Like, that's what we do. It's like our favorite thing to do. And I'm not saying it's not unwarranted sometimes. There are certainly times when people need to be called out. But we're really, really quick to do that. We're really quick to run leaders down. But Galatians 6, Paul says to them here, he says, hey, don't do that. Don't do that with the people that God has called to teach you the word. Share with them. Care for them. And so before it gets too weird, let me just take myself out of the equation here, okay? Let's just think about the people that are part of the church that teach us the word. Let's think about the people that are with our kids right now. That they don't get to be here, that they give of this time to teach our kids the word. Would you share with them? Would you do good to them? Would you thank them? Or our musicians that teach us God's word through music. We do good to them. We share with them. Or those of you that are going to be sent with Pastor Barrett to go plant Acts Church Northwest in a couple months, be sure you take this verse to heart. Share with the one who teaches you. Do good to the one who teaches you. Or Adam, who we just installed as a vicar. Right? Our prayer would be that his community does good to him, that they take care of him. Because it matters. This is what God calls us to do. This is what God's word calls us to do. And I hope I don't seem sappy, but it, but it really is important because I think about it like this. Like for me, I, you guys don't know this, but at my house, I literally I have a bulletin board and I have a box that's full of things and I have an email folder. And all of those things are encouraging words that I've gotten from many of you. And so when ministry's hard and I'm tired and, and I want to quit, like these are the things I say, oh my gosh, people actually care. Like God actually cares. Like something is, is going on here. And so I hope we recognize that, that, that that's what we're called to do because the gospel, it's a manifestation of the gospel to care for your leaders because what it does is it shows us that the cross unites all of us together, that we do good to each other. And look at how Paul ends this text, verse 10. He says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, I love this. Like, it, it doesn't get more practical than that, right? Like, this is I almost kind of out of a job this morning because it's just simple, right? It says, hey, restore the wayward, bear the burdens of one another, care for your leaders, and then do good to everyone. If you get the cross, if you get what Jesus has done, this is what happens. But not only does Paul get practical with, with what we should do and how we should live towards others, but he actually gets very practical with how we relate to suffering, how we engage suffering in light of the cross. Look with me at verses 11 to 12. He writes, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, I love this part of the letter. I love it because I just get this awesome vision in my head of, of, of the Apostle Paul. See, when he would write a letter to a church, um, like this one, Galatians is a letter, he, he wouldn't actually pen it himself. He would dictate it, and then he'd have a scribe that was taking down his notes and making it happen. 
But you see what happens here in verse 11. Like, I'm just trying to imagine the scenario that he's, like, going, he's rallying off and doing his thing. And, oh, do good to everyone, especially those with the house of faith. And then I can just see him be like, you know what, man, this next part, just give me the pen, bro. I'm writing this part down. And he gets all excited and gets all up in there, right? He says, look at these large letters that I'm writing with. Now, why is Paul so excited? Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Why is he so excited about writing that? Well, let's remember the whole purpose for him writing this letter is that this church in Galatia has been overtaken by false teachers who say, hey, you're made right with God by Jesus and by following all our religious rules and regulations, in particular, circumcision. And so Paul says the whole reason these guys are doing that is because they don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, how does that work? What does that mean? Well, just follow the train of thought with me real quick. See, when uh, Christianity launched, when it kind of got up off the ground, uh, it was seen by the the broader world uh, as, as a Jewish sect, that Jesus is a Jewish Messiah, and so they're just kind of like, well, it's just another sect of Judaism. Uh, and, and so what happened is these false teachers, they kind of wanted to keep that idea going, and, and they wanted their peers to see them as basically the same as them. They, they didn't want to be ostracized from the community that they'd known. They didn't want to be ostracized from the, the people that had known them. So they said, hey, yeah, we're, we're kind of the same as you. Like, it's, it's not just the free gift of God. We still, have to, we still follow the same religious rules you do. See, look, we even made these Gentile believers get circumcised. That's, that's how serious we are. So it's not just the free gift of God. It's following all the same rules that we've been following for years and years and years. And so basically what they say to their culture is, hey, we're just like you guys. Accept us. We want to be like you guys. We just add Jesus. That's all. We're exactly like you guys. We just add a little Jesus. And they do that to avoid persecution. They do that to avoid suffering. And friends, this happens all of the time. In an attempt to avoid suffering, in an attempt to avoid persecution, we experience cultural pressures. We do this. We experience cultural pressures and we say, hey, no, we're not that different from you. We just had Jesus. It happens financially. Right? Hey, well, I want my kids to have the same kind of life as everybody else. I want them to have the same kind of experience as everyone else. And so instead of giving of myself and being generous with our lives towards the things of God's kingdom, towards expanding what he would want to do in this world, we're just going to hold real tight to things. We wouldn't want to look any different. We wouldn't want to sacrifice at all. That'd be scary. Or maybe we do it socially. Oh, hey, man, like the, everyone around me, culturally, my society, my friends, they all sort of look at, at sexuality one way. Uh, and I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to look like a weirdo. So I'm just going to say, yeah, well, those Christians over there, they kind of look at things that way. But not like me. I'm much more enlightened. I'm much, much more well thought than they are, those fools. And so we throw people under the bus in order that we don't look ignorant, in order that we don't look foolish. Or let's look at the other side of things socially. Some of you maybe have friends, and they like to talk or post about different ethnicities, people from different countries of origins, economic backgrounds, religious beliefs, sexual orientation, talk about them in such a way as if they aren't human, as if they aren't made in the image of God, as if they aren't of infinite worth and value. And we say, well, hey, I don't want my dang friends to think I'm a hippie, so I'm going to post that angry thing. I'm going to forward that angry email. We do all that to avoid suffering. Do you see how this works? Does that make sense? Why we just sort of go with the flow? And the list could go on. 
Like there's such an aversion to suffering in our culture that if anything would slightly inconvenience us, we just tend to bend so we can be accepted. We just tend to bend so we don't stick out. And Paul in verse 12 says this is making a showing in the flesh. That's all it is, man. It's making a showing in the flesh. And so listen, if you've never taken a hit for following Jesus, by the way, let me be clear here. There's a difference between taking a hit for being a jerk and taking a hit for following Jesus, all right? Very different things, okay? Never taken a hit for following Jesus. Never felt the pinch of living for him in this world. You may want to ask if you're really following him. Because the reality is, the guy we follow, guess how his life ended? His culture crucified him. How do you think it ends for us? Happy thoughts? Things go well? So I just uh, was looking at Instagram the other day, because I use my time well. And, um, and, and I was on there, and I, and I came across this quote that said, uh, if you put God first, you will never be last. And I thought, that is the opposite of what Jesus said. Because what's he say? He who wants to be first must be last and be the servant of all. And so I read that quote, and I was like, well, that's silly. And then uh, continued to spend my time well and, uh, and found an article online in which uh, just this last week, I don't know if you all saw this, uh, but our Congress uh, just officially voted and unanimously voted uh, to declare what's, what's going on in Iraq and Syria with ISIS uh, a genocide against Christians. That there's a, a genocide going on against Christians in that part of the world. Now, can you imagine reading that quote to our brothers and sisters facing genocide? Put God first, you'll never be last. That's nonsense. It's nonsense. See, when you grasp the gospel, when you grab hold of the truth that you're brought into a relationship with God, that you're brought into a right standing with him because Jesus was rejected by the world, because Jesus was hated by the world, then you recognize that suffering is just going to come with the gospel. It just does. We don't look for it, but it just happens. Suffering comes with the gospel, but so does comfort. So does comfort. Because the cross of Jesus says you don't suffer alone. It says you don't suffer alone. It says you don't have a God who's far from you, but he knows what it's like. That he enters into suffering with you. And so that's why point three, we boast in the cross. Look with me at verses 14 to 15. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, I love verse 14 here because we got Paul, who let's just think about like Paul's resume here. Like he's a dude who's written most of the New Testament. He's advanced the gospel in most of the known world at his time. And he's going to be on the top five of anyone's list for most influential people in all of human history. Better resume than any of us have. And he says the only thing worth boasting about, the only thing worth bragging about in the world, is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now why does he say that? Why is that the only thing he's interested in? And bragging about. 
Because he says it's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, of our Lord. That for him, like Jesus isn't just some martyr. He isn't some do-getter who just got on the wrong end of the empire. No, no, no. For, G- for Paul, Jesus is the Lord. He's the king. And that's the sort of king that Paul wants to brag about because he's a king with two crowns. So what are you talking about, king with two crowns? Well, today we celebrate Palm Sunday. I don't know if you ever realized, but like, if you think about it, Palm Sunday is a weird holiday uh, for so many things. We have plants in church. Uh, but, but on top of that, like, we celebrate this day that, that our king rode into a city, and people praised him, and they were excited, and, and they expected him to go in and become king, to take on a crown, to be lifted up. And the reality is, Jesus did go into that city, and he did become king. And he did get a crown put on him. But it wasn't a crown of gold. It was a crown of thorns. And he was lifted up. But it wasn't onto a throne. It was onto the cross. And on the cross, he didn't impose his will and domineering spirit over the world, but he allowed the world to impose itself on him. And he's killed by the world for the sake of the world. And as he wears that first crown, the crown of thorns, King Jesus sacrifices himself for the sins of the whole world. And for you. For all of you. But see, the good news is we know that that's not the only crown he wears. That next week we know that three days later he rises again to new life. And because of that, we know that one day, our King Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to ride in, but it's not going to be on a donkey. It's going to be on clouds. And he's going to wear a crown, but it's not going to be one of thorns. It's going to be one of glory. And he's not coming to die again. He's coming to bring life and healing and restoration For all of creation. That's why, verse 15, nothing matters but a new creation. That the things that would divide us, the things that would separate us, in the new creation, Jesus is going to bring us together. The King is going to come in glory and make everything all right. And so all our suffering and the suffering of our brothers and sisters is just going to seem like a bad day at recess. It's going to pale in comparison to the joy and the life that will be found in our returning King. And so in the meantime, we do good, we suffer well, and we boast in the cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're our king. And that you're not just a king who is power hungry, but you're a king who gave up his power, who gave up his authority, who suffered at the hands of sinful men that we might know you, that we might know the Father. God, I pray for my friends gathered here. I pray that they would find their hope in you, that they'd find their their life in you, and that we'd look forward to the day when you're going to set things right. May we look to you, our king, with two crowns, this day and always. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.